27 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss the themes of sustainability, well-being and community in real estate today. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings, and today I'm in Durban, South Africa, talking to Johnny Friedman, the executive chairman of the newly launched City Opportunity Fund. In the 1980s and 90s, Johnny invested in over 100 buildings in the Brighton area around the UK and another 20 buildings in Hoxton and Shoreditch in London, playing an instrumental role in the urban regeneration of both places. Today, he leads a team of over 120 people under the Urban Line Development's name, focused primarily on Cape Town and Durban in South Africa. He has over 2 billion rand invested in real estate so far. We discuss topics such as activation in the public realm, tactical urbanism, apartheid's influence on urban geography in downtown areas around South Africa, what he calls catalytic developments and the incremental gains from creating momentum in placemaking strategies, public-private partnerships in changing the identity of entire urban districts, as well as ESG, that's environmental, social and governance, and sustainability in the South African context. Johnny was one of the very first people I ever worked for back in the early 2000s in London as I was starting out. He gave me an early break. I followed his rise with keen interest over the past two decades. And the City Opportunity Fund looks set to make a massive impact on the lives of those in the social and affordable housing space in Cape Town and Durban. So with great pleasure, here he is, Mr. Johnny Friedman. Johnny, one of the concepts that really leaps out from the work you've done in the past has been around this idea of creating democratic spaces that have been re-energized and given new relevance within a city context. How do you see the key drivers of success for you in terms of democratizing spaces within a city today? Hi, Matt. Um, uh, Look, I think the first thing to, um, and a very important part of this, it's thinking uh, deeply and widely about who's already there, what's exactly there already in terms of community, in terms of neighborhood, in terms of um, the various um, parties that are there in terms of um, who's living there, who's working there, who the is, and also what the history is, um, what the culture is, um, and how to really take what is there and build upon that, um, how to make that relevant and better and repurposed in such a way that works for the people that are there already and works for the communities that are there already. And in fact, makes it so good for them that it starts to develop a interest and a perspective and an excitement for others to come and join it. So it it creates a sort of momentum around itself, but it's not, a sense of gentrification or total change where you bring in and you sort of from top down impose change upon a particular area or district or city. Um, It's really about working with what's unique and special about that already. What has it, how has it historically evolved? Who's there? Who are the shareholders and the stakeholders in that space? How to work with that as your starting point. And I think in a way that's a sort of bottom up approach as opposed to a top down approach. And where I've seen successful urban regeneration projects work and where areas which have become irrelevant or um, under purpose or underutilized or out of fashion, 
where I've seen it work extremely well is where you take where you take where you get a proper deep understanding of of that original space and the people within it, and that is your starting point, and from there you build, um, and that's uh, completely unique in every single situation. There's not two separate buildings or areas or districts or neighbourhoods that are the same. There's not a cut cut and paste approach that works. What you do in one city won't work in another city. What you do in one area won't work in another area. Um, you have to sort of understand the uniqueness of it in, in every sense, culturally, historically, um, and get underneath it. Um, and when one's able to do that, then uh, an organic, um, interesting, developed type of result starts emerging and it is organic it's not something again which is imposed i'm not really into master planning in the sense of really planning out every single building every single um, aspect of a particular area what i like to do is sort of set frameworks and kind of have a direction of travel but allow it to happen organically and when i've seen the the best results it's when it's happened in that way so in the past you've done both buying up smaller units, for example, at the, the top end of Bree Street in Cape Town, but you've also done far larger buildings. In terms of how what you've just described relates to piecing individual elements together versus going in with, with one large building that can almost be a, an individual catalyst, how do you see the opportunities and challenges there in terms of scale? How does that connect with that concept of democratizing spaces within the city? Scale is um, important, um, but it's not the only thing that counts. Look, one uh, where it gets very exciting is when you can work at scale, when you can see whole areas and you're buying multiple buildings um, and you're looking very carefully at the relationship between the buildings, the private space and the public space, and you start integrating the two. And I think the democratization that you're talking about in terms of what I mean by what I but I think I mean what I think that I think you mean by that is the opening up of the space so that it's usable and available and doesn't have barriers to entry in fact it's the opposite it's a space with um available to all and people can appreciate and use it at different levels and I think the best spaces are like that where they they can be appreciated in multiple different ways and barriers to entry are cut down. And the there's an opening up process between the private and the public. So I think it's that space where scale is important. I think where you're using individual buildings as a catalyst for change for whole areas, I think that can happen. And we've had successful examples of that happening. But I think it needs to be in the context of thinking about spaces uh, more generally and how the public spaces again interact with that building um, and again making it appropriate um, and bringing it and doing it in the right way so you can be a catalyst for change um, by making small changes and you know tactical urbanism is a lot about that type of strategy where you you, you go in and you and you make minor changes here and there and in fact they can add up to um, a lot more than some of their parts um, and make spaces and environments and districts quite um, exciting by adding in little elements here and there, which don't necessarily need to be large ones. In fact, I think a lot of mistakes are, are, are in town planning space are made by the idea that, that um, 
activations and um, development needs to be very substantial to make change. And in fact, I think a lot of substantial and meaningful changes can be made in small ways, clever ways, ways that don't involve huge budgets. So um, I think individual buildings, as long as, again, there is a sense of where the area is, where it's come from, who's there, who are the stakeholders, and it's done in an appropriate way, I think it can make a, a big impact. It's like you're, you're really sort of like putting a, a, a huge um, a dollop of confidence into an area. You're, you're putting something that really sort of sparks up an area and can become a catalyst to attract um, other and different interesting things. I think perhaps the term that we've been skirting around is, is activation of the pu public realm, isn't it? Democratizing spaces, creating valuable, useful, accessible public realm spaces that everyone can use. Are there differences? You have obviously you started in the UK and then at some point you really doubled down on developing in, in South Africa, particularly in Cape Town and Durban. So you have that two perspectives in a way, the UK and later in, in your career with SA. In terms of public realm and, and also more generally in terms of where the priorities lie, what are the particularities of, of SA when you're looking at urban regeneration projects? Are, are there particular elements that are very unique to SA that one needs to consider there that perhaps for someone listening in another country or back, back in Europe might not, might not be immediately obvious? Well, I think they are, of course, because they're, you know, the histories of the, of, of the two countries mm -hmm. are so so very different um, and the architecture and the geo geographical layout of South Africa um, has been so influenced by its unique history um, uh, going back a couple of hundred years but um, you know in particular of course the the history around apartheid and, and separation of um, areas by you know identifying race and um, the, ge the, ge the geographical um, implications of apartheid were huge. And of course, um, also the fear that was surrounding um, apartheid, both during it and after it, and the way in which that influenced architecture and, and town planning and urban design uh, was massive. And it was all about creating safe spaces by massive walls, dividing up areas, uh, physically in terms of distance, but also in terms of the, the way in which they were built, um, creating office parks, which you had massive security around and residential um, gated communities in suburban areas, um, again, where, where issue where big walls were the key issue. So it was a tremendous amount about about keeping people out and not using public spaces. Uh, um, so a lot about what, what, what we've done at, um, at, at Urban Line and our philosophy is about breaking those walls down, about opening up private spaces with public spaces, about inviting people in and creating spaces which, which are safe by the fact they're used, that they're, they're vibrant, they're exciting, and, and breaking down those perceptions around security around cities being a fearful space where the street is a is a is a, is a fearful space um, and breaking those types of perceptions down um, and opening up the city as an exciting vibrant and, um, and 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 as you say a democratic space so um, huge differences between 
between the two. Um, where, of course, you know, living in London, growing up in London, and walking the streets and being part of that city, and the excitement of, of being able to enjoy public spaces. So, to an extent, in South Africa, it's very much you know, you get in your car, you go from you know point A to point B, you know exactly where you're heading, and you 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 park your car at point B. You do whatever you're doing at point B, and then you go back to back in your car and back to point A. And very often, that those points are a home and shopping centre or home and office. And it's very much you know going into underground parking. There's no real interaction with the city. And where we found a you know where we can really make a huge difference in this country is, is about turning that around and turning areas into destinations in themselves. So we're not just going to this restaurant or this office and parking and doing. We're actually saying we're going to this area and we're going to walk. I mean, these things, for, obviously, for Londoners, you know, that's it's almost obvious. But here in South Africa, where there are so few high streets, where there are so few public urban spaces to enjoy and walk and see and be, you know, and have the surprise of what's around the corner and have multiple things to to look at and interact with and do all in sort of one area. It's something which has, has not really happened outside of very controlled areas like shopping centre environments. So that's where we try to make a difference and try to introduce South Africans to the excitement about what's you know urban centers can feel like what what the street feels like how to sit in the coffee shop and enjoy the hustle bustle of city life um which has been so missing uh, both during the apartheid era and 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 post it um around the particular history of south africa so i think there's a lot of opportunity here um just kind of letting people experience what we're so used to in europe uh, we take it so granted that you can walk around the city and enjoy the streets and enjoy street life and be constantly surprised by what might be available, what little new shops opened up, what coffee shops available, what you know, all of those types of things which we sort of take almost for granted is not available here or is, or is only just becoming available in multiple different ways. Or So even where they've done good sort of urban regeneration projects, what South African developers have a lot done, have done, you know, usually done is they've created sort of like a little oasis and they put a wall around it again. That, and that's what they've called sort of urban regeneration because the, the mindset and the mentality is all about safety, security, and keeping restricting people coming into spaces. In fact, the opposite of what you're talking about in terms of democratization of spaces. It's almost, even though they're urban regeneration ideas and spaces, they don't get quite get this concept of opening them up and making them exciting and, and, and spaces in their own right where people can move, move freely between public and private spaces and uh, between different private spaces. So it's actually very exciting developing here because A, you can do it at scale and scale is important as previously discussed. But, but I think B, it's almost like introducing a new way of living, a new excitement around what the city equals and what it can be. And um, that's what I found very, very fulfilling. And when people find it, uh, they love it. And in fact, particularly, you know, young people, I think, you know, creating great urban democratized type of spaces um, is extremely, it's something that young people almost kind of need to have. And if you don't provide it within a the city, they'll go elsewhere and they'll go to cities which do provide it. So um, it's been very exciting working here because we've been able to do it at scale. And we've also been able to sort of bring a different mindset to it. 
and started to introduce people to what in Europe we sort of take almost for granted, but what, what, what has been very much prohibited here, um, either, you know, actually or in terms of perception, you know, people have conceived, perceived these spaces as too, as too dangerous somehow. Um, and I feel like over the last 20 years that we've been working here, we've moved the mindset on that in a lot of areas. Uh, you mentioned a few, but we've worked in probably 25 different areas across the country. And uh, all of the areas, one of the things that they have in common is that they're about opening up, they're about um, connecting public and private spaces, they're about giving that feeling of being uh, able to be in a space and be able to engage with the excitement of what city life, what city life at its best can be. And to achieve that, are you finding, if we consider, say, the, say a district level or a cluster based strategy where in a sense you start to spread out and create as you you mentioned sort of a street level neighborhood that's really something quite innovative for SA but perhaps you know something we might take almost for granted in in Europe does that require greater public private collaboration or is it something that a private developer such as Urban Lime can pretty much roll out themselves how much how much partnership is involved in that with the city planning the more partnership there is the better um, where the schemes work best is where the public and private work hand in hand together. Um, and almost by their nature, they have to have um, a good symbiotic relationship with the, with the cities and with the owners of the public spaces. So, but what can also happen is that as a private developer, you can sort of be the catalyst for that as well. So even if you haven't got a willing partner to start with, you can start showing them how the, the public and private realm can start interact. And what's interesting is that we've had such, uh, you know, positive engagements where when the cities and uh, when neighbourhoods and when, you know, the, the, the stakeholders start to see change, um, we've found that they've got more and more engaged and that it goes beyond talk and actually into reality. And when they start to see it, there's a momentum that builds. And in fact, momentum in what we do is extremely important. Getting, um, getting things done and doing stuff. We were talking earlier about small interventions. Small interventions are hugely important because they develop confidence. They develop confidence and then people see, are starting to see change and starting to feel change. So actually just making smaller, small interventions where people are starting to experience the sort of things that we were talking about earlier, uh, the excitement of city life, the interaction with other people, the best of what cities and districts and neighborhoods can be. Uh, once they start to feel that, then it, it starts to grow momentum itself. And then, of course, others start coming in as well. It's not just you. To, uh, we never look to be the, the only private. In fact, if we're, if we're the only people developing privately, we've kind of not hit. We've uh, missed the target in a way. What we want to be is a catalyst for change. And once people start seeing it happening, it gets to a sort of a tipping point where, you know, we could actually do nothing more and you could come back in five years' time and the area would be very substantially better than it is now because it's come to a sort of a tipping point where all the owners of the buildings um, start seeing potential. They want to spend money on maintenance. They want to think about the right tenant instead of just you know, any tenant. Um, and it becomes a positive, becomes a positive catalytical spiral. Um, and very much the municipalities and the, lo and the local councils um, and other stakeholders 
get on board that enthusiasm if you create it. And what, so I, I see one of our roles is as kind of momentum builders. So it's a, it's, yes, you can do catalytic development, but also you can do a lot of small interventions here and there. And out of that comes a momentum and it starts developing a life of itself. And then all stakeholders, very much obviously key stakeholders of the municipalities, but other stakeholders as well, uh, get involved and projects take on a life of their own. Fascinating. And in a way that leads into then where you look to be changing gear in a sense with the launch of the City Opportunity Fund upcoming in June of this year. Clearly different scale, but still in a way tapping into that same level of detailed insight and the knowledge that you have of the of particularly uh, inner city Cape Town and Durban. So what is your, what's the aim there? What's the big goal uh, with that new fund that looks to be um, yeah, in a sense, taking urban regeneration to another level in SA, right? The City Opportunity Fund is actually taking the skill sets and our experience that we've developed, you know, in the three cities that we've worked in on on two continents, um, and having uh, really distilling that. And I would say, if one does distill that, one comes down to our, the real skills that we have is is how do we take areas or buildings um, that have become um, inappropriate in terms of use, uh, have gone out of fashion, that no longer have relevance in some way. And we've adapted them in an organic way, which is which doesn't feel like it's a top-down approach, which is a bottom-up approach, which we talked about, which is organic, which is, um, uh, which is incremental, but at the same time radically transforms areas and buildings. And at the moment, those, that skill set couldn't be more relevant because in the post-COVID environment, you know, through the changes in technology, but which have now been enhanced heavily by uh, the experience we've all been through over the last couple of years, it's left a huge amount of real estate, not only in the in the city centres, but throughout the whole of South Africa and, in fact, globally. It's made it's left a huge amount of commercial real estate, um, in some ways irrelevant, underpurposed, or needs to be repurposed, reinvented, rethought through for this post-COVID modern world. You know, people essentially are not working from offices in the way that they that they used to. Um, and people are essentially not buying from shops in the way that they used to. And whilst this this trend has you know has been in place for quite a while in terms of flexible working and in terms of online retail. These are trends which were already well established before COVID. They've been hugely accelerated by COVID. And, you know, the way in which we work and the way in which we, which we shop and the way in which we live and the way in which we socialize and the way in which we think about our homes and the way we think about ourselves and each other has radically transformed. And what it's done is it's had a tremendous impact on the way in which we use buildings, the way in which we think about buildings, um, the how are we going to be using buildings going forward. There's a massive shift um, which needs to be taken into account because there's a huge blend now between the virtual world and the real world. And how does one integrate the virtual experience with the bricks and mortar experience? So it's in that slot, in the slot of, in the, in, in the slot of how does one repurpose, rethink, reinvent real estate, given these massive social technology, 
massive changes that are that, that have been happening and are happening and are accelerating at a tremendous pace and how it's impacting really every aspect of our lives and where does real estate fit into that and what is and how does one adapt these types of buildings headquarters office buildings for instance um, shopping centers high streets uh, business travel has totally changed. Um, almost every aspect of uh, the commercial uh, real estate and leisure businesses have changed very fundamentally. And it's the reinvention and the rethinking of how does one adapt those uh, to buildings which are, which are relevant. And that's what the City Opportunity Fund has at the very heart of it. And the proposition is, is that uh, we've come up with a set of sort of broad solutions in multiple different categories as to how we can, in, in general terms, deal with some of these fundamental issues that have, that have changed. And a lot of real estate will never be the same again um, because things have fundamentally changed. Uh, so the City Opportunity Fund um, is a fund where we're injecting um, close to two billion rounds of our own assets into the fund, but we're also working with major partners who are going to be injecting real estate, uh, which fits into that category, which are you know buildings which or groups of buildings which need rethinking, repurposing, reinventing, which which are no longer relevant as they currently are, and of course the solutions to what to that problem of how does one deal with real estate in the post-COVID environment. Uh, it's not cookie cutter. There's not a cut and paste solution to it. And again, the solutions will have to be crafted on a bespoke basis. And, and that, is where, that is where our sweet spot is. And that, that is what the City Opportunity Fund is about. Is it comes out of a team that's got 30 years experience in, in looking at areas that have gone out of fashion, that, at buildings which no longer are fit for purpose and being able to adapt them and change them and get underneath the with underneath the issue, finding the most relevant, the most appropriate solution for a particular area, building, district or city. And um, it's, it's that which will be encapsulated within the City Opportunity Fund. In that context then, the student housing and affordable housing sector, so what is the opportunity there? So if you've got a 1960s building that's really sort of past its it's sell by date, but yet has potential. How can a student housing concept or how would you adapt a student housing concept to fit into that space? Because there's, there's surely opportunities there in that sector, right? Well, there are a lot of um, buildings that fit into that category in the inner city. Um, some of them are more appropriate for retrofitting to student social housing than others. And of course, it depends upon exactly where the demand is. But in both sectors that you, um, that you brought up there, they... They are, you know, they're, they're one of the solutions in effect or student housing and social housing are, 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 are two of the solutions that we are looking very carefully at in terms of uh, a much wider, a much wider issue. But um, they certainly in South Africa are areas where there's um, a large amount of demand. Uh, there's government backing for it. And um, there's a a real opportunity in retrofitting old office buildings, um, certain old office buildings into um, spaces of that nature. And again, we would look at a project like that, like we look at any, and we think, well, what is the very best 
the very best in, in asset class here? How can we do this in the very best way? And we would work off a wish list and look and think, well, what is it? What does the ultimate student, student housing look like? And uh, we would literally run through and think about that. And the same with social housing and create best in best in class types of buildings and areas. Again, I like in that space linking buildings. I like thinking about the public spaces. I like thinking about how it feels to be not only in the public space, but how it feels to be within the building. Um, I think a lot of the issues around um, um, the way in which buildings are used, healthy spaces, creating green spaces, um, spaces which are um, which are feel good to be in. We almost almost everything we we do, we look at, we take a sort of a living room approach. How does it how does it feel to be in the space? We think about you know if we're actually in that space, how does it feel to be in there? Does it feel like a like a vibrant, healthy, democratic space, something that's inviting? We would look at student housing in exactly that way as uh, as in it in any other class. So best in class is critical. How does it feel? How do the buildings interact? How the public space? How does the public space work? Uh, what we don't like is huge concourses, huge huge concrete concourses, which are kind of almost made for architects rather than for people. You know, they kind of make the building look good and make the building look grand or whatever. What we're interested in is how does it feel? How does it feel to be in a space? How does um, how does it how do we get a best best in class feeling? Um, what's most appropriate? What's there? How do we think about modern technology and how do we integrate that? How do we use the changes in the way in which we're living so radically? And how do we integrate those into these buildings to make them um, make them not only relevant now, but also relevant in 10 years time? Uh, so we're thinking very hard about that. The interaction between technology and real estate, the interaction between the virtual world and the real world. And, and going back to basic principles, how does it feel? How does it feel to be in the space? What do you need? So what are the needs of the people who inhabit those spaces? It's this type of thinking we, that I think sort of sets us apart and within the City Opportunity Fund, it's, we're, going to be, we're going to be having those types of conversations and those, that type of thinking going through everything we do. So whether it's a high street or whether it's a social housing project or whether it's a student city we're looking at or whether we're looking at a neighborhood scheme or whether we're looking at how does one reinvent the office space for the modern world, what's required now. Um, the thinking is starts there. Who's there to start with? How do we build on that? What's the most efficient, most um, exciting way to use the building? How does it feel to be in it? How do we interact it with the technologies that are available? How do we blend the experience between the virtual and the real? It's it's this is the approach we're sort of taking. It's not a traditional development. You can you've, you've probably, I think, throughout the, the chat we've had, we've not actually used the word developer. We we don't really consider ourselves developers. And sort of we more around placemaking, more around reinvention, almost inventors or reinventors of space, uh, not developers of space. So it's a different it's a different approach. It's a it's a different way of thinking, and it's very people centered. You use the word democratization. It's very people centered. How does it feel? Very critical. How does it feel? What's the use? How does it interact with 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 the with everything else we're doing? How does it fit in? You touched on a couple of things there. The idea of there being a, a component of of health and well being, and also to some extent 
considering you know, green themes and sustainability. We've spoken a lot about the social side. So the big uh, hot topic at the moment clearly is ESG real estate, so environmental, social and governance. Within the sort of the macro perspective that you have from your position today, do you see SA as being perhaps ahead or behind in any of those three? Is ESG real estate having um, the kind of impact on the real estate development market in SA that it is having in the US and in, in Europe? Or do you think there's a little lag between the two in that sense, and therefore perhaps an opportunity for, for the fund to do something different? Definitely, definitely an opportunity. Um, look, in an environment where um, there's a tremendous amount of poverty in South Africa, there's a huge unemployment rate, there's especially um, in, in youth unemployment rate is at um, epidemic proportions. There's uh, so in that environment, in that context, yes, you know, various different areas that you're talking about has been somewhat left behind, and and it mustn't be. Um, and and where where we look at buildings, we would take you know best you know best uh, uh, the best in class. We would be looking at following best standards and um, looking at the way they're doing it abroad and trying wherever possible to emulate it. Um, and integrating wellness and healthy building type strategies. Um, both in terms of the internal, the, inside the buildings, but also externally and how to bring the two together, um, sit right up at our, you know, high up on our list of, of priorities. And I think wellness generally is a key growth area. Uh, wellness in terms of the way in which we use buildings. But I, so wellness is kind of, wellness as a sort of general concept is integrated into almost all of our projects in one form or another. Uh, obviously, it's come out of COVID. COVID has given us all a time of reflection around these issues, what's important to us. Wellness in the in the more general form has, has been right up there with the conversation over the last couple of years. Um, how and the importance of taking care of oneself, living in healthy environments and so on and so forth is, is critical for, for South Africa as it is for, for all other countries. Where it's got left behind is is obviously around in terms of poverty and 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 social needs, which are which are at a different level to many first world countries. Tony, it's incredibly valuable insight that you share with us today. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about Urban Lime and about the new fund that you're launching this this summer, how can they connect and follow along? Um, well, they can go onto um, our website, the urbanlime.co.za, um, or onto the City Opportunity Fund website, which is um, also up. Um, so contact us or, um, or get in touch in any way. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Matt.